Uh, we are in, um, follow me here, week two of this mini-series called The Culmination. It's a mini-series of True Story, and we're actually in week 71. Yes, everybody say 71. That's a lot of weeks of um, this, this series called True Story. We're working through the Gospel of Luke, and so we are quickly coming to the end. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 22. Um, how many of you are planners? Okay. How many of you are, you, you might not be glad that you married a planner, but you knew that you needed to? Anybody here? Yeah, like that's, yeah. So the, we're talking about the plan, like the, a plan, God's plan, okay? So some of you are going to be like, I love it when we talk about the plan, right? Because I'm a planner and I've got my daytimer out and I've already made lists for my list for next week, right? And some of you are like, what's a planner, right? That's the way this works. And usually those two people get married, and that's why we have fights when we marry, and we have to figure all that out. But today we're talking about a plan. We're talking about God's plan. He's always had a plan. And so today in Luke chapter 22, that's what we'll be talking about. Um, why is that important? Because this series is taking us all the way up to Easter. Y'all have heard of Easter, right? And here's what we need to remember. Easter is so much more than dyed Easter eggs, and like candy, the candy is good, right? It's, it's even more than church Easter place, right? It's so much more than that. It's, and all those are good. There's nothing wrong with any of those, but it's so much more than that. And I think when we look at these chapters, like we're kind of going through the last four days of Jesus' life and the last four chapters of Luke, what we find is like there's, there's more going on than just, hey, I'm going to die on the cross so y'all got something good for your Easter play. But there's a plan. There's a plan that's taking place. And so this morning we're talking about two things, okay? Everybody say two. God's plan and our response to it. Those are the two things we're going to talk about, okay? So let's just dive in um, God's plan. First verse, the festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover and stop. All right, we're going to stop right there. Because Passover is God's plan, all right? That's the, that's the clue Something's going on here, and if you're reading through the Bible with us this year, then you read Passover and go, wait a second, I think I read that somewhere, right? And it, it's way back in the beginning of the Bible, and so I need to um, take the rest of us, we need to go to class for a second, okay? So sit up a little straight in your chairs, get your pens out, and we're going to go, I see you. We're going to go to a class called Passover 101, all right? Just very quickly, I need you to understand what Passover is, okay? So Passover refers back to Exodus chapter 12. And what happened the night before the children of God were set free from Egypt, you know, God's been sending these plagues, and there's been like these ten things that have taken place. And every time there's a plague, it's really bad for a little bit. And, and Pharaoh's like, Moses, just tell God to stop, and I'll let you go out and worship. And then he'd change his mind, right? And all of us have been like that. You've all had bad days, and you're like, man, I, I, well, I'm not talking about y'all. I'll talk about me, right? I'm sitting there like I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm thinking, I've got to get in shape. I've got to lose some weight. But that night I'm eating ice cream, right? That's the way it works, isn't it? And then the next night, I'm like, I can't do that again. So the next night, I don't do it again. I eat, I, I eat ice cream with magic shell, right? Like, I don't do the same thing. <laughs> that was good, but y'all didn't laugh. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes we, we end the moment, we're like, I've got to change. But then we get out of that moment, and it's not so uncomfortable, and we change our mind about changing. And so that was kind of the story with Pharaoh, right? And so the last plague 
It's a weird one, but it's in the Bible. And so God said, listen, Moses, here's what's going to happen. Tell Pharaoh that during the night, an angel of death is going to go through the entire land, and every house that's not marked, the firstborn son or a firstborn of cattle is going to die in that house. Now, I don't know how you would be if you heard that, but I'd be like, how do I mark something? Because I don't want that to happen in my house, right? And so here's what God said. You're going to take a lamb or a, you're going to take an animal, and you're going to kill that animal, take some of that blood, mark the doors with it. And if I see the blood on the door, then the angel will pass over that house, and they won't be killed. So that's where the term Passover comes. And so Passover was such a big deal in the history of the Jews that every year they celebrated it. And people would come from all over. They'd make their way to Jerusalem. Listen, Jerusalem was crowded during this time. A bunch of people were coming to Jerusalem for Passover, to celebrate Passover. It's a little bit like we would do at Christmas, right? Like, I'm going to go see my family. Uh, you know, I'm going to Grandma's house or whatever. And they would all get together. They'd come to the Holy City to celebrate that years ago, an angel passed over the Jews' houses and didn't kill their firstborns. That's where we get the term Passover. A little bit more. You with me so far? It couldn't just be any kind of blood, okay? So Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. We'll have these up here, but if you just want to jot down the reference, you can look at it later. Here's what it says. Exodus 12, verse 5 says, The animal that you select must be one-year-old, male, either sheep or a goat, with no defects. Okay? That's important. The no defects part, that's really important. It couldn't just be any blood. It had to come from a lamb or an animal that had no defects. Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, a little bit later in that chapter. Here's what it says. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. I know that sounds harsh, right? And if you're reading through the Old Testament with us, like we're in those books right now where it's like, God's in a bad mood, isn't he? It just seems that way. And I'm just telling you right now, this might be too simple for some of you, but as I read these, I just keep saying over and over again, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, right? So hang, hang with me. We'll, we'll get there. Verse 13, but the blood on your doorposts, remember, you're going to kill the animal, take some of that blood. What do you do with the blood? You put it on the doorpost, the doorframe, the blood on the doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the Passover was always part of the plan, okay? But let me ask you a quick question. It's not a hard question. You could say yes or no to this. How many of you brought an animal sacrifice with you to church this morning? Well, I got my middle schooler. Does that count? No. None of you brought an animal with you. Am I, am I correct? Okay. You know why? Because the Passover was the plan, and it's something that they did, and they celebrated the Passover, and they kept having to kill animals. Like, that was part of the plan, but eventually it stopped. And why did we stop doing that? It's one, well, I'm sorry, what? Jesus, right? So you kind of already know where I'm going. So what is it about Jesus that was so special that it could stop all of that? A bunch of verses. Here we go. We're going to read all of them. Jot them down. John 1, 29. I told you it's Passover 101. Hang in there. You're doing great. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And here's what he said. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. You making a little connection here? Wait a second. They had a Passover lamb. He just said Jesus was a lamb. Oh, let's keep, let's keep digging, right? 1 Peter 1.19. Talking about the blood. It says it was the precious blood of Christ, the what? Sinless, spotless lamb of God. Remember when I told you without defect was really important? Making another connection, right? Wait a second. Like, that was an animal without defect, and here's Jesus, sinless and spotless, Lamb of God. Hebrews 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Like, I wish that I could stop there and we could just talk for a second. That is so powerful. Have you ever heard somebody complain? Yes. You can shake your head like drama queens. Like, like, you hear them complain? And then you try to help them, and they cut you off by saying, you wouldn't understand. You ever heard that? Parents of teenagers, we hear it all the time, right? You don't understand. Um, spouses, you hear your other spouse say, you don't understand. Jesus understands. I mean, I want you to get that. He understands our weaknesses. Why? He faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin, right? Without defect, he is sinless, he is spotless. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. Man, I love this passage. This just talks about the lamb who was slain. Just listen to it. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Everybody say, huh? It's kind of weird, like horns and stuff and what's going on. He's talking about Jesus, right? If you don't get anything else out of that little verse, just understand this. Jesus is powerful. He is powerful, right? And he was slain, and now he's standing. I mean, there's a whole sermon right there that we can't even preach right now. Some of you guys, you feel like leap led, I mean, leap, sheep led to the slaughter, right? You feel like that. But listen, there's hope because he was slaughtered, and now he's standing. He does the same thing for you and I. Anyway, we'll just keep going. I can't even preach that right now. Verse 7. He, Jesus, stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders, these super powerful beings, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Anybody prayed in the last week? Raise your hand. Even if it was like, help! It's a prayer, right? <laughs> like, that prayer is in this. That prayer is in a bowl right now that will be a part of this story at the end of time. I love that, right? He's taking all prayers. It's a part of this. They're prayers of God's people. And in verse 9, they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Could you just very quickly turn around and look at people in the room? If the people in this room look like us, we, don't, we haven't experienced that yet. I get that when they look like us, it might be more comfortable. If you've ever had to try to have a conversation with, with someone who doesn't speak your language, it can be a little uncomfortable. But if we look the same, then we're not living that out yet. Because when we get to heaven, it's going to be hard to find people like us. You don't quite look like me or act like me or sound like me. or Man, God's like he's after us. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Verse 10, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. That's what the blood of Jesus has done. 
He's redeeming men and women from every race. I love that. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. So um, just connecting some dots real quick. If you're reading through the Bible with us, you probably remember some of, this, some of the verses that we talk about, like say they'd get blood and they would like dip something in the blood and they would like sprinkle it. Remember, it's just sounding familiar. They'd sprinkle the blood. They'd just, like, everywhere they'd just throw blood. And I'm just like, what a weird time to be a priest, right? But here's what I want you to get. What, what did the author just say? Under the old system, sprinkling blood could make you ceremonially clean. It could kind of purify you externally. But then he says, verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds. So the blood of Jesus is going to do something on the inside, right? That's huge. That's huge. It's not about external anymore. It's all about internal. He's changing us on the inside out. Sometimes we'll see people that say they love Jesus, right? And you kind of watch them live a little bit, and you're like, I don't know if I see that. And what you're really saying is you're not judging her heart. You're just saying, like, you're saying one thing, but you're, like, really doing something totally different. And if we think of being clean from the outside in, it's so easy to act the part and never have the heart. That was a good little poem right there. But what God wants is to change the heart and the actions follow. He's after the heart, always after the heart. So that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Um, one more passage, Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? Here's why that's so important. Because I just told you that it's possible to say that we love Jesus, but then sometimes live lives that are opposite of what we say. And if you're like everybody else that's breathing in the room and you heard that, you got this little like demon up on your shoulder saying, told you that you weren't saved. Told you that you weren't right. You're, you're always making mistakes. God will never use you. And then we read this verse that says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because when your heart's being changed from the inside out, sometimes it takes a while for the outside to match the inside. Huh. Can I get an amen if you're married to that person? Right? <laughs> Dude, come on. But here's the thing. He's working it out in us and through us. And there's no condemnation when it takes longer than we want it to. I love that. Verse 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us 
who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Think back to Exodus, right? The Passover. So when the angel passed over them, the very next thing that happened was they left. They, they got out of Egypt because Pharaoh's like grieving the loss of his son. And he's like, just get out. And so they left. They started the day as slaves and they ended the day as free. And what Paul's saying here is, what did the blood of Jesus do for us? It sets us free from slavery to sin. Okay, I felt like I preached better. So let me make sure you get this, okay? The cross is right here in the middle. Just pretend a cross right here in the middle, okay? Life before Jesus. We're over on this side, and we got a ball and chain, right? Like we're chained, and then there's a ball, and like we're stuck here. We can't get away. We can't move. So like your friends that don't know Jesus, guess what? They don't have a choice to sin. They're going to sin because they're slaves to sin, Full disclosure, when the church boycotts people, I just go, what in the world are we doing? Why are we boycotting a business? Because if they don't love Jesus and want to honor Jesus, then they can't do any different than they're doing. And why would we expect them to act like Christians when they're not Christians? Because they're slaves to sin. And what we just read is that Jesus cuts that chain and we actually can walk away from sin and we can be slaves, Paul says, to righteousness, which means we can actually live different lives. So anytime you say out loud or to somebody else or to God in prayer, I wish that I could stop, but I can't. It's a lie. You couldn't over here because you were chained to sin. You were a slave, but he set you free and now you have a choice, and I say this like lovingly to me and you, right? The worst witness the church has in the world is that we still act like we're slaves to sin. But the Bible says that we're not. The blood of the Lamb was powerful enough to set us free. So when we choose to sin, it is a choice. It's a choice. All right. One more verse, and then we'll move on to our response. Revelation 13, 8, this is a pretty powerful verse. It makes a statement that's probably bigger than I can explain. People have been talking about it for years. It says, and all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb. This is the important part. Who was slaughtered before the world was made. You may have a translation that says he was slain before the creation of the world or the foundations of the world. And what does that mean? Like, I think that's bigger than we can discuss right now. Like, what, what, he, was, what, he was slain before it ever started? Here's, can we just simplify it with your big idea? Here's what it means for me. The lamb has always been the plan. Always been the plan. Man, there's so much power and peace in that statement. The cross was not God's response or reaction to sin. It was his redemptive plan for sinners. He always knew that he wanted us back. God wasn't sitting up in heaven and he didn't go, oh, God. She ate the fruit, y'all. She ate the fruit. Did y'all see that? Was it she ate it. Oh, she, gave it to, oh, she gave it to him. <sighs> 
That was not what I was expecting. Um, Jesus, I mean, what you got? Nothing? I'm sorry, he's on the right side. Jesus, anything you got? Um, what do you think? I mean, could we, something we could do, maybe? Oh, I, I know. Um, how about, hey, we'll kill you. Yeah, I'm serious. Well, I mean, we, ha- we, uh, we weren't going to, but we ha- I mean, did you see what they did? We have to now. That wasn't how it went down, y'all. He was slain from the creation of the world. Before it ever began, God had a plan. Before it ever began, he wanted you and I back. And the lamb has always been the plan. It wasn't just to have Passover so they could have a festival and eat stuff and, like, bread that wouldn't rise. It wasn't just that. It was that he had a plan from the beginning that's going to point to Jesus. And Jesus is the plan. And you've got to see that. So, I mean, the very first verse he talks about Passover, that's it. That's the plan. The plan was that he was sending a lamb who was pure and spotless to set us free from sin. It was not a reaction to sin. It was a redemptive plan for sinners. And I love that. Now, here's the question. How do we respond to that, right? And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, it's been like 20 minutes, and he just did the first verse. Holy cow, this can take forever, right? And we're going to zoom through this. I find five responses in Luke chapter 22, five ways that we can respond to the plan of God. And this is really important, and here's why. If you were raised in church, for the most part, here's what happens. You come to church, and I preach about the redemptive plan of God, and you make notes, and you think to yourself, wow, I knew Paul was good. Well, I thought he, was, he might be good, but, like, he's good. And he, like, he connected dots for me that I've never seen. I've read about the Passover, and I never really connected it to the Passover in Luke 22. I've heard about a lamb, and I've heard of Jesus, but, like, he's the lamb. And Paul, he connected all those dots together. And, man, that was good. And you put your pen down. You shove your notes in your Bible, never to look at them again, and tell me I did a good job. And we walk out and go, that was church. But that's not church. Church isn't about connecting dots between New Testament and Old Testament. I mean, Old Testament and New Testament. Church isn't about information. It's about transformation, right? So what are we going to do with this knowledge? That's the question. So five responses, okay, five responses. The first one is found in verse um, 1, verses 1 through 6. We'll read them quickly, all right? The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted. They promised to give him money, so he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. First, response that we can have to the plan of God is we can work against it. And that's what, that's what Judas was doing. He was working against the plan. That's what the religious leaders were doing. So the plan was for Jesus to come. And, and Judas is like, I don't, want, I don't want it to go down the way I think it's going to go down. I need you to set up a kingdom, earthly kingdom here so that I can have a, power, a position of power. So we work against it. Second way, right after that. Um, how many of you have ever seen Mission Impossible? Any of the 500 versions of it, right? Um, so this next few verses are going to feel a little bit like Mission Impossible, right? Then the festival um, of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Verse 8, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, 
go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. And they said, where do you want us to prepare it? And here it becomes Mission Impossible. All right, check this out. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. And that is where you should prepare our meal. So they went off and prepared just like Jesus said. You follow that, like, no names, not like look for John Smith, but just like you're going to go into the city and you're going to see a man carrying a water pitcher. Follow him. Oh, that must be him. Come on, come on, let's go. He's going to take you to a house. He'll lead you to a house. Basically, you're stalking him to the house, right? And then you get to the house, and you're going to be like, uh, excuse me, the teacher didn't say Jesus. The teacher said, like, where are we supposed to set up? Oh, come with me. Up into a room that's already set up. Like, it's just crazy. This is the plan that God had. So I want you to see here, you can work against it, or you can prepare for it. Man, I believe this. We need to be preparing now for the plan of God. They were making preparation to celebrate the Passover. We already know the Passover. We already know the Lamb. We already know that it's Jesus. Can I just ask you this question? Are you making preparations now in your life so that when he does come through for you, you're ready? I know so many people who, I mean, like, they're just dating and they're doing stuff they probably wouldn't want to do when they get married. And they're thinking to themselves, but when I get married, I'll change. Hey, married people. How's that working, right? Or I want to get a car someday. How are you going to get it? Well, I'm just going to wait for somebody to give me a car. Or what you could do is take some of that money you're earning and save it up so that you're prepared to go and buy a car. God's called me to this fantastic ministry. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. Well, how are you getting ready for it? I'm just praying. You want to pray in the nursery? No, I'm, I don't want to do that. Crazy talk. I'll just keep praying here. Like how we prepare now is what makes us ready then. And they were preparing for the Passover before they ever even celebrated it. Sometimes with the plan of God, we've got to prepare. We've got to prepare for it. Here's the, the third way. Verse 14, when the time came, they sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He takes the cup, and he shares it with them. He takes bread, he shares it with them. After the meal's over, he takes another cup and shares it with them. What I want you to see is they prepared for it, and then they received it. You know, we take communion every month. I wonder sometimes if we really understand what it's about. I don't know if I always really fully understand what it's about. We go, it's the body and blood of Jesus. But they're receiving from the Passover lamb, the Passover meal. It's crazy, isn't it? Like they're receiving it. Do they understand it? Probably not fully, but they're still receiving it. And I want my heart to be in that place. And then how many of you have ever come to church? God has moved in your heart. It's been fantastic. And then you got in the car, and before you even got home, you had just like this knockdown, drag-out argument. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm saying? These amazing moments with God, and then a few days later, it's like um, never happened. I always think about summer camp, right? You take kids to camp, and they're like, man, Jesus was awesome. He was so good. And then by Wednesday, they hate each other again. It's like, um, or maybe just in the van ride on the way home. Here's what happened to the disciples. 
Check this out. They just received communion. They just received part of that plan with Jesus. Jesus is still in the room. They're at the exact same table, verse 24. And then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest should take the lowest rank. The leaders should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You stay with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at the table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. It's funny how we can kind of work through this progression, and we see them work against it. We see them prepare for it. We see them receive it. And in the same place where they received it, they started to fight about it. Isn't that crazy? So what, what do we fight about? Preference? I like hymns. I like horses. I like jeans. I like suits. I like concrete. I like carpet. Who likes carpet? We fight about preference. We fight about the plan. Well, when Jesus came to save people, he did it this way. No, he did it this way. And you end up getting Christians fighting about stuff back and forth. And the whole time the world's watching going, wait, time out. Is that the plan? For you to fight about it? To fight about being the greatest instead of being a servant? And I think sometimes we end up doing that. It's one of the responses we can have. And then the last response we see in, in Peter, verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Can I? This is the hardest one for me. I, I saw some things in this that I'd never seen before. One, I always thought that Jesus was saying to Peter that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. But what he said was he wants to sift all of you. And what Peter said was not, hey, all of us are going to be okay, Lord. He said, I'm okay. I'm going to go to prison for you. I'll even die for you. And what I realized was that's the fifth response, and it's the most dangerous of all. We can deny our need of it. You're like, well, I know Peter denied Jesus. No, no, right here he's denying his need of God's plan. Like, my bros behind me, yeah, they probably need your plan. But I'm good. I'll even die for you. And Jesus was having none of it. And that's why he told him, Peter, let me tell you, verse 34, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. When you stop and think about it, what is the determining factor in all those responses? It's trust, isn't it? Do I trust the God who has a plan? Or do I think that I could make a better plan? It's hard to trust God when we think that we're the main character of the story. You ever do that to God? God, you got a great plan. Um, but what part do I play? Because you know I'm a leading role, right? Like I'm the, I'm the most important person in this story. And so I, let me just, I'll look at your plan and I'll just check off on it. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good plan, God. Paul approved. He's not asking us to approve it. He's just asking us to trust him. What would it look like for us to trust that he is in charge of a plan? 
and that we might not understand why Jesus had to die or why he keeps telling us that we need him. But, man, if we end up in that fifth one where we deny our need of it, then we're going to start looking at the world as a bunch of a whole bunch of bad people are in the world that's full of bad people and then good me. And what Jesus was saying was like, no, 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 my plan was that all men need this plan. Everybody needs my blood. And if you think you don't, that's a dangerous place to be. Now, we're going to wrap this up. The band's going to come out. And, and let me just tell you this. I love this about God. I love that he is gracious and he is big and he understands us. I love all of that. Right? I love it so much because in this same story, like many of you, you can find yourself having multiple responses to God. Maybe you looked at that list and went, yeah, you know, I can see how maybe sometimes I, I receive it, but then sometimes I fight against it. What I love about this passage is that Peter, I mean, everybody always gives Peter a hard time, don't they? But I just love Peter. Peter was four of those five responses. Did you notice that? Peter prepared for it. Peter received it. Peter fought about it. And then Peter denied his need of it. All in the same day. And I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Not so much, hey, God, I used to be like that, but sometimes I still am. Or that's just for people who don't know Jesus. And sometimes what happens is we relegate the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. Oh, you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I need to share the gospel with you. Well, yeah, you do. Oh, you've been serving Jesus your entire life? I need to share the gospel with you. Yeah, you do. Oh, I've been at the gathering for eight years, every Sunday, both services. I need the gospel. The gospel is not something we outgrow. The gospel is not for bad people. The gospel is for all people. And the minute that we say, I don't really need it anymore. Hey, the bad world needs it, but God, I'm good with you. Then we've stepped into a place, it's a bad place to be. And I want to call you to just a moment where you can reflect on where you are. And ask yourself honestly, ask the Lord honestly, where am I? Those five responses to your plan, where am I? Maybe I started this morning's service in one, but now I'm finding myself in another one. And it's very fluid sometimes. But our only true response has got to be this, Lord, I need the gospel. I need you. I'll never stop being anxious if I don't have you. I'll never stop sinning if I don't have you. The words that come out of my mouth will never sound like you if I don't have you. It's always been about Jesus. The Lamb has always been the plan. And right now, this morning, He wants 